you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. Thank you so much. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 24. Know ye not that they which run the race run all, but one, everybody say one, but one receiveth the prize. Only one. There's only one winner. Everybody else is second loser. Only one receives the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. But we, look at your neighbor and say, that's us, but we. We do it to obtain an incorruptible crown. An incorruptible crown. Lord, I need your help tonight to preach what you have put on my heart and what you have spoken into my spirit this week. I pray, God, against every distraction in the room. I pray that you bring all things under subjection to the word of God tonight that your spirit might be able to speak expressly to the hearts of the men and women that are in this room. I pray, God, that your power and your spirit be manifest. Where my vocabulary runs short, God, I pray tonight that your spirit speaks to hearts and that the intent of my heart tonight and your heart tonight is found in the lives and hearts of every hearer. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. I'm going to be speaking strategically to the church this evening. You, you may not shout, or you may. You may not run the aisles, but you may. If you choose to do so, give me warning. I might pass out if I see you actually running the aisles with my preaching. I haven't seen that in a while. This message is not intended to be a pep rally. Look at your neighbor and tell them this is not a pep rally. Now, I'm going to ask you to help me a few times tonight, and I want you to participate with me. Some things that I may say tonight may make some of you a little uncomfortable for a few moments at certain times, but what I'm going to say to you over the next few moments may be one of the most important pastoral messages of this year. No warning, I normally tell you I'm not going to preach long. I do not make that promise tonight. I'm going to preach until I'm done or until God's done. So we're just going to see what the Lord has for us tonight. We are at a pivotal point in the church. And I want us to end this year completely 
victorious. I, I think God's church ought to be a church that always wins. Setbacks ought to just be setups for what God's got to, to bring us in our future. Those who know me well know that I don't like to lose. Chess, I don't like to lose. Monopoly, I rarely lose. Any kind of game I play, I may be a sore loser. I don't like to lose. Pastor Danny says I'm a sore winner because I like to gloat. I don't like to lose. And the truth is I've played sports with some of you and I know that some of you don't like to lose either. I stand tonight in the position of a coach at the halftime locker room meeting with a great team surrounding me. But we are down on the score and I'm not willing to end this year in defeat. Now, as I enter into what I'm saying tonight, there's some strategic things. And if you're note takers, this is not a pep rally. Look at your neighbor and tell them it's not a pep rally. This is a moment that I'm going to give you some plays that's going to help us win this year. There are four spiritual climates, and if you can't remember some of these, you may want to write these down because they're pivotal for our future and, and in order for us to, to end this year successfully. <coughs> there are four spiritual climates. There are four climates in every healthy church. First, there is the spiritual climate of the church. The spiritual climate of the church it involves all things spiritual. It involves our prayer life. It involves our dedication. It, involves, uh, it involves our connection to everything spiritual. Fasting, prayer, consecration, faithfulness to the Word of God, our spiritual life and spiritual walk. It is often never overlooked. Most churches recognize the spiritual climate of the church. They recognize it's very important, and it is. The second climate that I want to point out to you that is in every healthy church is there is a physical climate in the church. This climate sometimes is overlooked. The physical climate of the church is so very important. I believe that environment has a lot to do with the outcome of a small meeting, a large meeting, a church service, or anything else we do, there must be a climate, a physical climate that is conducive for the operation and moving of the Spirit. This involves the building, locations, decor, cleanliness, how tidy things are or untidy, the way we approach buildings and facilities, all of these, the physical climate, of the church is a very important climate. Some folks drive in the, the, the walk in the doors of a building. Uh, some people may drive up to some church parking lots and just shake their head and decide, I don't even want to walk in because the physical climate of the church is so that it speaks to them that they don't want to know what's inside because they can see what's outside. 
So the physical and climate is a very important climate of the church. The third climate of the church is the social climate of the church. The social climate of the church involves all things social, relationships and connections, friendships. Our small groups is helping us develop and grow the social climate of the church. Every activity, every event, every time we go out to dinner, every time we connect with somebody, this is the social climate of the church. It's not connected to the physical climate or the spiritual climate, but it can have a very important effect on our ability to make disciples or see people cycle through the church, come in and walk out the door because there are no relationships built, because the social climate of the church doesn't create a glue that sticks people to the church. The fourth climate of the church, you may... Now, this is my stuff tonight. I'm not preaching somebody else's material. So if you find fault in what I'm preaching tonight, there, I may come back and preach eight climates next time, all right? But I, I'm bringing what I feel God has spoken to me on the most important things that need to be said tonight in this service. The fourth climate of the church is the financial climate of the church. Don't get quiet on me now. There's a financial climate of the church. It involves the financial well-being of the assembly. It involves how well people are connected to the church financially. Are they tithing? Are they supporting missions? Are they giving to ministries outside? Are they paying the bills? Is the church going forward because people are being faithful? Are people sacrificing? It's all, everything we do, our whole attitude, our conversation, and the way we approach everything about the kingdom of God will show up in the financial climate of the church. Somebody said one time, and I know we've moved away from the era of checkbooks. Not many of you tonight probably even have a checkbook with you. We've moved to cards, and we no longer carry checkbooks. But somebody said some time ago, give me your check register, your bank register, and I'll be able to tell you your priorities in life. Is God still first in your life? Do you still put God first in all things? We asked God for the provision of a building. He gave it to us. Now we still have a responsibility to pay for the building and to keep the lights on and to keep the church moving forward and to keep revival moving so that we're not hampered and held down and held captive. I, I liked it when you were with me a few mo moments ago when we talked about the spiritual and social and physical climate of the church. But there's a financial climate of the church that also must be attentive to at all times if the church is going to see revival. If a church lacks in any one of these four areas, the health of the church will be at stake. I think I'll write a book about this because it's pretty important. There are four things that we must pay attention to. And if one of these fail, we will fail in every other aspect of the church because we are weak in that specific area. Now, there are three things that I don't really know tonight. There are, there, there are three I don't knows that I'm going to bring to you. I know I'm going to bring you some fours and threes and twos, and then we're going to have a huddle, and we're going to come out of this thing and win this game tonight. What do you say? There are three I don't knows that we must consider if we're going to be a winning church, and I believe we are. <coughs> Look at your neighbor and tell them we're a winning church. those who say 
I want to be part, but I don't know what to do. Secondly, there are those who say, I want to be part. I know what needs to be done, but I don't know how to do it. <coughs> and then there's the third. I'm not worried so much about those that say, I don't know what to do. They're just asleep at the wheel. Those who say, I don't know how to do it. I feel personal responsibility to do a better job of training and teaching because every person that has a desire, I want to see activated in some area of ministry. But the third, the third area, the third I don't know that we must consider if we're going to be a winning church is those who say, I don't know if I really care or if I even want to be involved. There is a real issue. Those who don't care or don't want to be involved are not only not contributing to what God is wanting to do with them and through their church, but they also are affecting all the people that are watching them and watching their attitude toward the church. First of all, allow me to address those that don't know what to do. I'm going to present you with a game plan for an opportunity to involve you for the rest of this year. Secondly, for those of you that don't know how to do it, I promise you I'm going to do my best to give you some play-by-play -play strategic training that will involve you and give you an opportunity to find your place and learn how to do what God is calling you to do. Finally, for those of you that don't know if you even want to be on the team, I'm coming after you tonight because we're not a losing church. And the only way we can win is to have unity. And I'm calling every member of CLC to find a way to get on board with what God is wanting to do. Your involvement is important to the rest of the church, to your pastor, to the leadership, to your family, and to your own well-being. So after 20 minutes of preaching, I get to my title. So for lack of a better title, I'm going to call this message Self-Check at Halftime. Self-Check at Halftime. To compete for a championship during any sporting event, a great team has to be willing to make adjustments. It's real easy for us to enter into this first Sunday in July and be stuck in a rut for the rest of this year. I want us to think of tonight as being in the huddle. We're halfway through 2019. 26 Sundays have passed. And today we step forward into the second half of this year. We've had some great plays already this year. But at this point, there are some areas where we have fallen behind. 
And unfortunately, it comes and falls my job to stand in this pulpit tonight and tell you what I see as the shepherd of this church and areas that I see where we maybe have fallen behind and maybe we're lacking because we've got to end this year successful, victorious, and doing the will of God. We've had some great plays this year, but we've fallen behind. It's not too late. It's halftime. Some of the greatest teams in history were comeback teams that came back after halftime. But we must be more strategic over the next 26 weeks if we're going to catch up the areas where we failed and we're going to excel in areas where we failed to excel in the first half of this year. I understand that we entered into this year on the heels of a nearly three-year building project. The downtime has been incredibly important to those few men and women that gave so much of their time and life and family time to put into this church to build this building. I'm going to save some things that I want to say about the care of this building for another time. But the rest, our rest, has been very important. It's been needed. I understand that we have about six weeks left before school will resume and summer vacations and travels will be traded in for more traditional routines of school and work and little play. I recognize where we are. I'm not going to be drastic tonight and at the close of this service, don't expect me to call you to some sort of deep levels of commitment over the next six weeks. I've prayed over and contemplated the timing of this message. We have several families on vacation tonight. I guess I could count six or eight, maybe ten families that are traveling tonight. And I, I hope to get away with my family. We got away for three days. I hope to get, a, get away again with them in the next few weeks for four or five days. It's important. We need that rest time. People, I don't want you to misunderstand the tone of this message tonight because I understand the need for personal time and family time. I'm not intending to speak into that at all tonight, but neither do I want to be so lighthearted and apologetic that God can't speak to somebody's heart over the things that are of the greatest and the most importance that I'm bringing to you tonight. I believe what God has set before us as a church may be one of the greatest opportunities that we have ever had as a church. As you can tell already, this message didn't come in 15 minutes. I have written for days as God has spoken to my heart. We are a winning team. We are a winning church. The prophecies over this church are victorious. They're not prophecies of defeat. And anybody that wants to speak a prophetic word of demise or doom over this congregation, I resist that in the name of the Lord and declare we are a victorious people. We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a chosen nation. And we're about to come out of the locker room tonight ready to go out and beat the brains out of the enemy that is coming against us and wants to hinder revival and progress and growth. We're a winning team and victory's ours, but we're going to have to make the right adjustments. I believe that God has positioned this church 
to have one of the greatest comebacks in our history. I believe the next 26 weeks can go down in the records as one of the greatest comebacks of all times. We are at halftime. If you want, we can put on a halftime show. I can have Dylan come to the organ, have the praise singers come, we can get the drumming just right, and we can put on a halftime show. But halftime shows are not for team players. Halftime shows are for spectators. It's entertainment. I'm not coming with an entertaining, cheerleading, pep rally message tonight, but I'm coming with a strategic word from the Lord that says we've got to get into the fields where the harvest is and we've got to reap the harvest in the last 26 weeks of this year. At halftime, the greatest teams learn to make some strategic adjustments if they want to win the game. We're going to have to consider how are we spending our valuable time? How are we spending our day? What does our daily routine look like? This is the first thing. It is the priority of time. How are we spending our greatest priorities? At what level are we willing to gauge personally, spiritually, and financially for revival? I believe that how we approach the last 26 weeks of 2019 will have a great bearing on what 2020 is going to look like in our future. We're going to end this year with momentum behind us and when we move into 2020, get ready, it's going to be greater things than we've experienced before. But here's the issue. We have too many people that enjoys the spotlight on me. No winning team has a superstar that always has the spotlight on them without it being a team sport. There is no hero that is big enough to lead any team to championships. We have many, many gifted and talent, talented people who are worried about their personal agendas, their personal ministries. Can I be real tonight? Who is noticing what I am doing? Who will get the next big break? The next title that's handed down? Who will get called up to the big leagues? When's it going to be my opportunity? When do I get the platform? Or rather, in some people's mind, it's a stage. It's a performance. Our mission is bigger than any one of us. If we will stop playing, if we will stop living like we are individual superstars and start working together as a team, as a church, as a body, we can turn this world 
upside down. But it cannot matter who gets the credit, who gets complimented, or who it is that's going to get called up because of it. We are a kingdom-minded church. We are. I want you to look at your neighbor and tell them we are a kingdom-minded church. We are a kingdom-minded church. I want you to listen up and pay close attention tonight. I don't want my words just to fall on deaf ears. We are a kingdom-minded church. But there is a time when we must put our best focus on the home front and the home field. When CLC Frankfurt is healthy and vibrant, then we will be more effective helping other churches and other ministries. But first, CLC must be healthy and vibrant. If we're going to be effective in establishing daughter works, sending out evangelists, musicians, missionaries, Church planners, our home front must remain healthy and always be our greatest priority. Healthy churches produce healthy ministries that can go out and do a healthy work. It's easy. It's easy for us to lose perspective because the spotlight is on us. Our number keeps getting called. Our name keeps getting called. If we're not careful, we'll get our focus on our personal ministries. What's in it for me? How fast am I growing? How quick can I leave? How quick can I go do something somewhere away? Pastor standing in the pulpit asking, how long has it been since you have won a soul and discipled them and led them to the foot of the cross and seen them through to salvation where they can stand on their own two feet and reproduce that again in their life? Our home front must be and remain our most important priority. It's easy for us to lose perspective. But remember this, nobody wins unless we all win. When we gloat at someone else's failure, you're gloating at your own failure. We must celebrate the successes of every member of CLC. When your family's blessed, we're all blessed. When you get a pay increase, the church is blessed. When your family gets saved, we're all blessed. When it's your child in the altar, we're all blessed. We must stop choosing who we're going to celebrate and who we're going to ignore. We must work together for the kingdom of God with no big eyes and little U's. Nobody wins unless we all win. Can I suggest that there's no place in ministry for personal agendas and secretive competition? I'm going to compliment our assistant pastor. 
He probably stayed up most of the night again last night as he normally does before he preaches on Sunday. This morning, a few minutes before 9, the fire alarm was made. I received the call. I came walking in and understood things were in disarray. Without any warning, I looked at him and said, I'll take the service this morning. I was not studied. I was not prepared to preach this morning. I was completely dependent on God to speak something into my spirit to speak to this congregation. The look on my face this morning was terror and fright. My Lord, I got to preach and I have no clue what I'm going to say. People were coming up. Some of you were asking me all sorts of questions this morning. How's Sister Jordan? How's the dog? When are we going to rebuild the building? When are we moving forward? What's the weather going to do this week? Can you sign a camp form? Can my kid go ride with? I have no idea. All I know is I just told Brother Danny, I got the service this morning. Without one moment of, really? That's what you're going to do to me? Without one moment, he said, you got it, Pastor. Whatever you need from me, let me know. I'm supporting you this morning. We got to have a move of God. Everything turned on a dime today. People stepped up all day, spent the day here, meeting with contractors, getting things cleaned up, calling insurance companies, making sure things happen. Lebanon still happened. People stepped in. People got shifted from one spot to another. That's what winning teams do. They, they no longer say, oh, I got the microphone taken from me. I got the position. No, winning teams say it's more important that this night happens and that hearts are touched and lives are changed and that the church moves forward. It doesn't matter what my job description is right now, what my contract says. I'm on the team. Put me in and let me play wherever I can be of my greatest benefit to the kingdom. It's not about competition. I feel like maybe I need to do a better job allowing some of our young and developing ministries opportunity. I look for opportunity. I try to find them. We try to send them out as much as we possibly can. We try to do our best. But we have a responsibility to our home front. and We have a responsibility to see this church continue to move forward. I've talked to Pastor Spencer several times about Lebanon. We're giving it our best shot. We're getting ready to, to rear back and do more than what we've ever done. But at the same time, we've got to have evangelism crews on the ground right here in Frankfurt. I thank God for the growth and development and all that's happened at The Rock. I thank God for all the churches around us that's blessed. I've had pastors call me even this past week. I had a neighboring pastor call me, and he said, Brother Jordan, I'm submitting myself to you. I want you to be my pastor. I'm going to continue to serve in my local church. I want you to be a voice in my life. God bless him. I'm going to do my best to do that. He may be listening online tonight. If you are, Rick, God bless you. I'm here for you, but I'm 
I'm going to tell you where my greatest priority is. It's not in district work. It's not outside of the church. But my highest priority is right here in this assembly. We've got to end this year successful. We've got to see people baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost. We've got to develop and train young people. These young boys on this front row, they need to be developing. They need to be on these musical instruments. They need to be learning how to pray. They need to be doing street evangelism. There needs to be bus ministries running. We need to be doing the work of God. We've got to do more. Where are we spending our time? What are we putting our energies and efforts in? So if we're going to win, the way we think about things is going to have to shift. We have to begin to think differently about our time. And we've got to start thinking differently about souls. I sense in the first half of this year that the word souls has come with a, with a shoulder shrug. Can I impress upon you tonight when I talk about lost souls, I'm talking about people that are going out into eternity lost without God forever to meet eternity. Can I impress upon you tonight that one lost soul is too many? Until the church gets a real burning passion for souls and a heart for souls. I'm just going to be real with you tonight. I'm not interested in the next soloist or the next speaker or the next conference preacher. I'm, I'm interested in finding the next soul winner in this church that's going to start teaching Bible studies, bringing people to church, getting them in the altar. I don't even care if they can sing. I might just pull them up to sing with me. I don't care if they have any preaching ability. I might just pull them up to preach with me because God is not interested in our ability. He's looking for our availability and a heart after him to reach the lost. Oh, pastor, I want the will of God in my life. Let me tell you. Tell your neighbor it's not a pep rally. Be seated. I'm about to get carried away here. Oh, it's the will of God. I'm looking for the will of God. There's only one scripture you're going to find for me. There's only one place in the scripture that I can learn much about the will of God. The scripture said, it is not his will that any should perish, but that all. That but means it is his will that all would come to repentance. Before you start worrying about the will of God for your ministry, we need to start worrying about the will of God for no souls being lost and for all coming to repentance. So we've got to see ourselves less of the superstar and more of the big picture. What we have right now is we have played the first half of this year with a lot of self-portraits. We're walking around showing everybody our business cards, who I am, what I am, where I'm going, what I'm going to do, and what my future's going to look like. Now I want you to sincerely look at your neighbor and say, ministry is not about me. John the Baptist John the Baptist said I must decrease so that he might increase 
I said in Lebanon today, and I'll say to you here tonight, God will not compete for your attention or your time. He will either be Lord of all or not Lord at all, and that's not a cliche. He will not compete. Either you willfully are going to turn your heart, your mind, your soul, your spirit, and your passion to the things of God and truly start seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness or either we're going to sit on the sideline and watch the, watch the, the adversary win people left and right and take them into eternity lost without God while we sit here cheering ourselves on saying look at me and look at my next opportunity. I'd like for us to consider three areas that would bring, bring about some key changes if we're going to accomplish what God wants to accomplish in the remainder of this year. Some of us need an adjustment away from a serve us attitude to a service attitude. I hope my spirit is right tonight when I say this. But I talk to too many people. I read too many expressions on faces and watch too many people across the way when they don't like where somebody's sitting, where they have to sit, what somebody's doing, the opportunity they have, the sacrifice they're called to, and they throw their little attitude temper tantrum. Serve me. Serve me. I'm going to tell you the only way that we're going to be successful is when we move away from serve me to service. This is not a church serve me. This is a church service. That means I'm coming to serve him. I'm coming to please him. My worship's about him. My singing's about him. My attitude must please Him. There's no question that the church ought to meet the needs of its members. As for the staff and leadership of this church, we want to meet your needs. We're working hard to meet your needs. If you need us, we want to be there for us, for you. If you'll fill out uh, one of our forms, our prayer request forms, or our strategic forms, I promise you, I'll have somebody at the hospital. I can't play games. There's one thing that God can do that I can't do, and that is read your mind. Is it all right for me to be real with you? I'll visit you in the hospital, but I got to know you're there. I'll be there when you have surgery, but I got to know. If I find out three days later that you've been in the hospital and I'm not there, don't go tear down the pastor, the leadership, the ministry of the church if you didn't take time for a month in advance to fill out a card and drop it in and say, hey, I got a procedure coming, a surgery coming, a hospital visit, or pick up a phone. I do respond. Sometimes I don't want to, but I do. The issue is, is we like spotlight and we like the serve us attitude instead of the service attitude. 
when we begin to serve him and serve others, this is when personal ministry will begin to flourish and your personal satisfaction becomes greater than it has ever become before. This is when real personal growth happens. Most of us have been conditioned to think of ministry as something that pastors do. But here's the definition of ministry that might surprise you. Ministry is meeting others' needs with the resources that God gives you. Meeting others' needs with the resources that God gives you. Perhaps we need to broaden our definition of ministry. Serving others ought to be a normal part of everyday life of a believer. You may not be a Bible scholar or an upfront person, but no matter what your talents or abilities are, you can meet someone else's needs with the resources that God has given you. For the remainder of this year, we're going to be more intentional to investigate and communicate the needs and ministry opportunities of this community and our church and look for areas where we are better able to serve the needs of our congregation and our community. It's a goal and a desire of mine to see an increasing percentage of people in this congregation activated in some form of ministry. I cannot hold your hand. You've got to have desire. Desire can't be taught. Desire's got to be caught. But when desire is there and you make up your mind that you want to do it, I'll be glad to help you learn how to do and what to do. If we're going to win the lost in these last few months of 2019, then we're going to have to shift from being served to effectively mobilizing to meet the needs of people that are around us. If the only time we can be activated and involved is when the pastor or pastor's wife is personally there holding your hand and cheering you on, there is no way that we're going to be able to win. We've got to be strong enough to say, let me get a hold of something, get my, get my hands a hold of it, put my life and energy into it. There are people in this community right now wondering, does anybody care? When we find out that there is a death in the community, our church ought to be the first to say, what can we do? When we find out that there's a need somebody somewhere, some, this church ought to be the first to say, how can we reach out to them? Can we, how do we visit them? How do we send a card to them? How do we pray for them? What can we do for them? We need to move away from serve me to serve them. I, I pray that this church... Start sending a clear message to every backslider, to every wounded and broken individual in this city. We hear your cry. We care and we're here for you. We've got to go after them. We've got to start looking at every event and every opportunity as an evangelism event to say we love you. We want you to be part. Come on home. Come back home. Get back where you belong. Get in the church. Not only are we here for you, but we care enough about you to go to where you are and to go to whatever extreme necessary to help you understand. We love you, we welcome you, and we're here to serve you. God has blessed CLC and raised us up in numbers and resources. He's blessed us with favor in our city and with key leaders around this region. He didn't do this for us to take pride 
in being one of the influential churches. But God has placed his hand upon this church to be an instrument in fulfilling the Great Commission. It's time that we do more than we have ever done. There's a bus ministry that needs to be activated. There's a nursing home that needs to be ministered in. There's children's ministry that needs teachers and workers. There's Bible studies that need taught. There's ministries that need started. There's backsliders that need contacted. There's guests that need to be followed up with. There's lost souls that need to be reached. There's evangelism that needs to be planned and carried out. There are financial needs of the church that must be met. There's another phase of building expansion on our horizon we're going to be talking about. There are unmet financial needs while members have the capacity to fund revival and for us to not be sweating over some of the small things. We need every member to move intentionally forward toward involvement. You will not find the success in your future ministry until you engage in the opportunity that God has placed within your reach today. When you fulfill God's will in your life today, Today and reaching the lost today, he'll open a broader door for your tomorrow. But your today is what God's interested in. Choose you this day whom you will serve. What will you do today? We're worried about our tomorrow. How about we worry about today? Who's lost today? Who's dying going to hell today? What can I do today? Who can I serve today? How can I give today? How can I get involved today? I want to do it today. We need to shift. The second thing that we've got to do is we have to shift from impressing from a distance to impacting up close. We spend far too much time worried about what people think of us and impressing them from a distance. But we don't want them too close to us or they'll know that we don't have a prayer life. They'll know we really don't give. They'll know we really don't reach the lost. They'll know we live on minimums instead of maximums. They'll know we expect God to be a genie in the bottle for us. We can talk a spiritual talk and live like the devil when we... I grew up in a church as a pastor's son all my life. I was being prepared for ministry. My father was a great example to me. I only hope to be a fraction of the man that he is. At 85, his ministry, his ministry is reaching the end. In my older teenage years, I sat under one of the finest Bible teachers in all the world, in my opinion. In 1988, 89, and 90, I was taught by one of the finest, some of the finest Bible college professors on the planet. For seven years, I was groomed by Bishop Price. For four years, Annette and I were part of a great church in Indianapolis with one of the most influential leaders and gifted speakers in America who spoke virtually every Sunday and every Wednesday and spoke into my life on a weekly and daily basis. If you were to ask me who has impacted my life the most, would it be my father? Would it be my pastor as, a, as an older teenager? Would it be the Bible college instructors? Would it be Bishop Price? Would it be Bishop Mooney? Who would be the most important people that impacted my life the greatest? Unfortunately, 
I would have to say that it would be narrowed down to a very small group of people. And that small group of people may would not be recognizable by names, but that small group of people that impacted my life the most were people that started impacting my life from the time I was about 10 or 11 years old until the time I was about 19 or 20. During that time in my life, there were people who pulled me in, who prayed for me, who wept with me, who prayed over me, who drove me to church, who took care of me, who protected me, who wept with me. Those people have been some of the most influential people in my life. There are some incredibly influential people in my life sitting in this room tonight because you have called me from mediocrity to being greater. You have called me from from prayerlessness into prayerfulness. You have called me from the sideline to engaging. You have challenged me. It is not necessarily people who are on a stage with big names, but it is individuals who will invest time. If I mention names of some of those today, some of those you would be shocked and you may not even know them at, at all. But they've been key figure, figures in my life. The reason they've been so influential is because they invested time with me. There's no such thing as a crash course in relationship. Can I say it again? There is no such thing as a crash course in relationships it takes time I've discovered that we grow best and grow most when we get up, up close and personal in an environment where relationships are developed we can impress people from a distance but we can only impact them when we get up close and personal with them this is the reason that I'm calling the church to go to the next level going out of our way to spend time Building relationships, strengthening relationships with each other, with our new members, with those who are on the fringe of our church. We need to start looking around and seeing who may not be coming forward, who is sitting by themselves, who is on the fringe. And we need to stop saying, hey, I want to be in the popular in crowd and let's create a new popular in crowd by capturing the hearts and minds and lives of those who are on the edge, who may not have the, 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 the inside track to be connected with all of the in group in the church and we pull them in and say, let's go have dinner, go have coffee, spend time together, let's get together. We must stop impressing from a distance and impacting up close and personal. It's biblical. Acts chapter 2 verse 42 through 47 said they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to breaking of bread, and to prayer. There were some things that they had in common. All things were common unto them. They prayed together, they ate together, they fellowshiped together, and they studied God's word together. It's still the thing that's going to bring revival in the second half. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. It's when we start praying together, eating together, fellowshipping together, studying God's word together. Come on, you ought to grab a brother or a sister right now and say, let's start fellowshipping together, praying together, eating together. Together, serving God together, being faithful to church together, putting our priorities together. It's where revival comes from. 
Thank you for giving me time to finish this message tonight. And all those who had believed were all together and had all things in common. Day by day, breaking bread house to house with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily. My point is when you do what you can do by connecting with one another, praying together, fellowshipping together, studying, then God will do what we can't. God will add to the church daily such as should be saved. Revival, church growth, reaching the lost will not happen through another series or special services or through a program. It's going to happen when we build relationships with people. Is it too much to ask to say let's start being so strategic that I'm going to spend one meal a month with somebody that I don't really know in the church? Would it be too much to ask to say I'm going to make one phone call, one text message, or one visit after service with somebody in this church or a guest that comes to this church. When that guest walks in, they need to become our highest priority. We ought to go do dinner with them. We ought to at least invite them out even if they turn us down. We ought to not allow them to walk in, sit through a service and walk out and everybody's going, who is that? And we're shrugging our shoulders saying, we're not sure. Hope somebody got their name in the back so pastor can follow up with them. Is it too much to ask to be so intentional that we would reach people that may not be as connected as we are? Does God really care about this? Read Matthew 25. Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. We, we don't have time. No, we find time for everything else we want to do. We don't have money, but we find money for everything else we want to do. How about making time and setting aside some money to invest toward church growth and evangelism? I don't want another person to walk out the doors of this, of this building and say there's no place here for me. I don't come here to impress with our music. Our choir is never to impress. Our church services, our intellect, our guest speakers are not here to impress. People don't really care how much we know until they know how much we care. For several years I've been talking about developing a discipleship culture in the church. Our small groups are off to a great start. This is one of our big wins for 2019. Small groups are a big win in 2019. Big win. Look at your neighbor and tell them big win. It's one of our big wins. Almost 50% of our congregation has been engaged in a small group so far. You heard Pastor Spencer tonight as he made mention and said we're getting ready to up our small groups for the next, for the next quarter. Let's do it upright. Let's go after it in Jesus' name. Let's do more than what we've ever done. This is a winning strategy. It's working for us. But that alone, small groups alone, is not going to get the job done. It's just one avenue. It's just one area. Everybody needs to get involved. It needs to be more than 50%. We ought to have 100% participation. 
At the beginning of this year, we created a challenge. At the beginning of this year, we created a challenge of baptizing 30 people in 2019. So far this year, as of last night, my wife gave me a report that we have baptized 10. We're a little down. To be halfway at half the year, we needed to be at 15. That means we need to catch up. We can't just say, well, I hope God sends it in. The scripture never says to pray that God sends people into the church. He said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he, God, would send forth labors, you and me, into the harvest field. The fields are right white under harvest but the labors are few if it's going to happen we've got to get up off of our seat of do nothing out into the harvest field and say I'm going after them we're going to reach them we're going to baptize we're going to reach the lost I felt challenged at camp meeting last week to come back to this pulpit and preach to you tonight and tell you I ought to, we need to raise our expectations. Instead of 30 by the end of this year, we ought to baptize 50 by the end of this year in Jesus' name. We need to be seeing souls saved on a weekly basis. We ought to live in revival. What would happen if every family would bring somebody to church in the next three weeks. If every family, look at your neighbor and tell them, that's us. What would happen if you brought somebody to church in the next three weeks? And what would happen if we came in the doors and we made these shifts that I'm talking about? And we're not concerned about whether it's my style, my solo, my preacher. All we're worried about is let's see if we can get them in the altar, prayed through to the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name. Let's come. We're coming for one thing in mind, and that is that we're going to be a winning team. We're going to win the lost. We're going to reach the lost. We're going to do the work of ministry. Everybody ought to be on board with something this apostolic. I won't be too much longer, but just give me a few more minutes. I recognize I'm going long tonight. I've been preaching really short. Sister Robin and Brother Mick told me I was the shortest-winded preacher at CLC. I'm making up for it tonight. Snip, snip, Pastor Danny. We need to shift. Third thing, we need to shift from being a spectator to being a participator. <coughs> now you say you want straight preaching, so here it is. We have way too many people that are satisfied being a spectator and judging everybody else's performance. When you have the capacity to do something and don't do it, Jesus said, what good have you done? If you see a brother in need and you say, I'll pray for you, but you don't open your bowels of compassion and meet the need that they have, Jesus himself says, what have you even done? When you have the, the capacity to give, but you feel that you gave as much as a single mom sitting down the aisle, you have your heart in the wrong place. I'm guessing tonight, don't anybody get too nervous 
I've noticed every time I mention money tonight, people have gotten real tight on me. I'm guessing tonight that probably five families in this room right now could write a $10,000 check to fund revival and it not even affect them in their future. I'm guessing that 10 people in this room could fill an entire row next to them and fill that row, bring seven people to church, 10 people. 10 people in this room are influential enough that you could bring seven guests with you over the next month. You could fill a row. What happened if we had a fill a row Sunday? I wonder if there would be 10 people in this room that could say, I can go out and knock doors and make phone calls. I can do it. You know you can. The issue is, is you're being a spectator instead of a participator. When I pull up and see the parking lot empty when it was full six, eight months ago because people were excited over a building, we need to get excited over souls being filled with the Holy Ghost. God is looking for people to engage in these last days. We don't need another Monday morning or Sunday night quarterback saying this is what the church ought to do. We need some people to get on the field and say, I'm here. I'm an engaged worshiper. I'm an engaged prayer warrior. God hasn't called you to judge everybody else's performance, but he's called us to be a participator. And he is seeking such who would worship him in spirit and in truth. I'm trying to approach a close tonight. We've been given the greatest gift of all, forgiveness of sin. We've been rid of the guilt of our past. We found purpose for living. We've been promised a home in heaven. Our sins have been remitted in water baptism. We've been regenerated and reborn and rebirthed with a new life by the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Yet for some reason, some of us want to hold back what God really deserves. Do you know where we would be if it wasn't for the Lord who was on our side? The writer said, I would have stumbled and I would have fallen, but God is on my side. David comes out declaring, I will bless the Lord at all times, good days and bad times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. It's not my praise to withhold. It's not my I can't hold back what God has blessed me with. I've got to take it to the highways, the byways, the hedges. I've got to come before his presence with singing. I've got to enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. I've got to give God what he deserves. I can't hold it back. Here's the issue. You are not the audience He is the audience. When these leaders are on the platform singing and the preachers on the platform preaching, you're not the audience. My worship is not so you can watch me worship. You're not the audience. He is the center of attention. He is the audience. We're just trying to get you to come on and join with what we're doing. When we're planning services, we're thinking through all the things we need to accomplish. We want you to experience God and have an encounter with Him. 
But you have to understand the process necessary for this to happen. You have to be willing to engage. I've pastored people before. Someone comes to mind that I pastored for the biggest part of probably 15 years. And every time I would say, oh, clap your hands to the Lord, they would look at me with folded arms. I hate to tell you where they are today. It was a resistance to God, not a resistance to me. We have to willingly involve ourselves in what God is doing. I've given you some tools tonight. I've given you some strategy tonight. I recognize the weakness of my voice and I've done the best I could with what I've had to work with and I've gone over an hour tonight and that's a rarity. I'm quickly closing the music can come and prepare to give us some help. But you have to allow yourself to be led. We need a transition to begin to happen. We need to move from being a spectator to a participator. We need for salvation to become the greatest need in the church. You've seen them walk up here before. We need salvation to become the greatest need in the church. Somebody comes in that needs salvation, we need to say that's the highest priority tonight. They need the Holy Ghost. They need salvation. It's better than me feeling good. It's better than me receiving a miracle of healing. Somebody's salvation is the greatest miracle of all. We've got to keep our focus on the lost. Why don't you stand with me? In the next few weeks, I'm going to be bringing four challenges to this congregation. First of all, starting Wednesday night, the Lord allows, I intend to start a series Wednesday night. This is a very important series for our church. It's not going to be covered in one night. It's going to cover several Wednesdays. We may have a break for one more camp meeting when it comes here to Frankfurt. I'm going to be teaching a basic holiness series. I felt sometime inspired of the Lord and it was confirmed earlier this week. I'm going to be challenging us to take an in-depth look at holiness. Starting Wednesday night, I'm going to begin a basic holiness series. You're going to want to be here. Y'all, you think you've got it all figured out? No, you need to be here. Please plan to make Bible study a priority. The second challenge is a challenge of stewardship. In the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at construction phase 1.5. That means we're not at construction phase 2. Construction phase 1.5 is going to entail doing some work on the north building and trying to turn it into a student ministries facility so that we can continue to train and grow and develop our students. Yesterday, without warning, I received a phone call from Brother Jeremy Newcomer. Yesterday afternoon, we had over $10,000 worth of brand new ceiling tile donated for that building. They rolled in with trucks. We offloaded it, and the Lord just had a little way of saying, move, move, move. In the next few days, planning teams are going to begin the process. In less than 45 days, we're going to be closing on the cell of our Delphi Avenue building. 
There's a lot of things that's happening around us. We have the potential to have some funds made available to us. It's going to be a match fund, meaning that we're going to have to reach back to the congregation and we're going to challenge you to see what we're going to be able to do. As pastor, I'm going to speak a word of faith tonight and tell you we're not going to go another dollar in debt. We're going to do it as God prospers the church and pay cash for it as we move forward. Somebody ought to rejoice in that tonight. We're going to do it in Jesus' name. We're going to be calling you. We're going to be calling you to, to, to a stewardship commitment. We're going to be developing a student ministry center. The completion by faith is going to be in the year of 2020. And it's going to open the door and opportunity for us to have one of the greatest youth revivals we've ever had. I see it in the spirit. Seeing kids filled with the Holy Ghost right up there while we're in here. The third challenge is a challenge for evangelism. Every ministry-minded person is going to be called and given an opportunity to find out what we can do. We're going to put our thoughts together, put our hearts together, put our funds together. We're going to be looking at how we're going to be able to best and use our most capable individuals to bring about one of the greatest revivals. Just because we moved into the building here doesn't mean we're done. We're just getting started. We now have room to park and room to seat, folks. It's time to have revival. We need to take it to the streets. And we're going to do it in the next six weeks. We're going to have teams that are going to start hitting, hitting the streets. We're going to start seeing results. And the fourth challenge is a challenge that I presented tonight, and that's a challenge of participation. And this is to those who say, I'm not sure if I want to be involved. I've been involved before. I didn't like this outcome or that. I'm coming for you tonight. I'm reaching for you tonight. I wish I could open my chest. Show you my heart tonight. I don't really know what God's heart looks like. But I know what God's been speaking to me. When I drive through our town, I'm no longer looking at for sale signs on houses. I'm looking at little children playing in the side yards. Children riding bicycles and teenagers gathered in the city park. Moms and dads sitting on the porches trying to keep cool in the evening heat. And God's been reminding me, this is your harvest field. This is your harvest field. We don't have to get in a car and fly. We don't have to get on a plane and fly across the country, get in the car and drive across the state. All you have to do is walk out the door of your home Look around your neighborhood. Behold, the fields are white, but the labors are few. 
Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Here's your prayer tonight. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth labors into the harvest field. Would you, without any further prompting, would you begin to pray out loud right now? I don't care if your neighbor hears you or not, but would you begin to pray right now that God would send you forth, that he would connect you with the right people, that he would send forth labors into the field. Behold, the fields are white. It's harvest time. If you feel to come forward and kneel and pray or you feel to kneel where you are or sit where you are or come forward or however, but you need to respond to what I preach tonight. This is more than just a sermon tonight. This is a word from the Lord. And I recognize how long I've been and thank you for the time. But I want God to speak to your heart now. Let's do something with it. Let's do something with it. we got to make some commitments. What are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with it? How are we going to respond? How are we going to respond? Find a way. Everybody in the room should respond in some way tonight. God's calling us to respond. He's calling us to commitment. He's calling us to commitment.